Hey everybody, welcome to the Big Ticket Variety and iHeart's Movie Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Malkin. This week, I've got Ron Howard, and we had a lot to talk about, including his upcoming adaptation of Hillbilly Elegy. Plus, he tells me why Shia LaBeouf made him cry. Stay tuned. Hey y'all, what's up? It's Jess Hilarious, and I'm just making sure y'all know that I got a podcast called Carefully Reckless on the Black Effect Network. I'm gonna be telling y'all all my business and telling y'all other people's business too. It ain't no limits to the things I talk about. Y'all know that if y'all know me. From baby mama drama to healthy relationships, from child support to stimulus checks. Look, when you take a step back and you realize that we all go through crazy stuff and we got stories to tell, those situations do not define you but they do make for a real good conversation. <laughs> In a world where clickbait and cancel culture can tell your story before you do, I'm creating an outlet to remind people that we still human crazy and we can all laugh about it. Don't stress over it. Bring your problems to me. I promise I won't judge you, but I might crack a joke or two. Don't be scared. It'll be respectful and messy at the same time. Just make sure you tune in. Listen to Carefully Reckless every Wednesday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to The Big Ticket. I'm your host, Mark Malkin. Now, Ron Howard talking about his new documentary about Luciano Pavarotti. Hello, Ron Howard. How are you? Thank you for being here. It's a pleasure. Pleasure to be We're here. We're going to talk opera. Wow, how about that? I... Pavarotti. How <laughs> did that come about? Well, it, it um, you know, while I certainly knew about Pavarotti and, and uh, a little bit about opera, not a lot, um, more about opera than I knew about about outer space when I did Apollo 13 uh, <laughs> or Formula One when I started Rush. Right. But it's the same team that did Beatles eight days a week. And once again, Nigel Sinclair, the producer, uh, is uh, has made so many terrific music documentaries. And uh, we had a great experience on eight days a week. He knew I was looking to reteam with them because mm-hmm. it, it's uh, Paul Crowder's brilliant doc director and editor, and Mark Monroe, terrific writer, we just our chemistry was fantastic, and and I and I loved working on eight days a week. So brought the idea of uh, of Pavarotti, and he, once again, similar to the Beatles, uh, eight days a week movie. He said, "Look, I th- we found some some new footage. Um, I think the family is interested or willing to talk. Hmm. We don't don't know for sure, but does the character interest you at all?" And I said, "Well, it's kind of perfect for me because I love." explorations where I have an innate respect and fascination, but not necessarily all that much knowledge, uh, which, by the way, even includes the Beatles movie. Mm-hmm. And in delving into it, I just began to see an, an interesting character story and set of relationships. And the opera was obviously clearly cinematic, mm-hmm. would, could be very meaningful. Chris Jenkins, I, I felt, would mix it again. And uh, you know, I knew he would he'd have a field day and and and, and create you know uh, an opportunity here to give audiences a sort of total experience. You know, we all know. You know, you hear Pavarotti, yeah. you just think a big voice. He sing he sang really well. But what did you learn about him as a man, as a character? Well, like I already knew he was incredibly charismatic because probably before I ever was even aware of hearing Pavarotti, I, I met him very very briefly. So this was. Mm, on the Paramount lot, uh, just a big sort of publicity sort of uh, event of some sort. And there were a lot of 
there were a lot of movie stars, television stars there, but when Pavarotti showed up, that was it, you know? <laughs> and I had a, just a very brief handshake. But I mean, the charisma was so, was so clear. It was mm -hmm. there. In fact, it, in our documentary, we have an American Express commercial. It was, that, it was one of the things that really sort of introduced him, introduced him very broadly to audiences. And uh, we don't mention it in the documentary, but um, it, Tom Bosley, who played my dad on mm -hmm. Happy Days, he was the voice of American Express at that point. And so it's, it's Tom's voice <laughs> tagging that, that commercial uh, uh, that, we, that we use, which I get a huge uh, smile. Full circle. From, from every, every time. So I understood how charismatic he was. A little bit later in my life, I began to appreciate uh, the talent. But I really, I had no idea what the journey was. And there is, uh, you know, it's, it's a sort of a great rags to riches story, um, very influenced by World War II and, and that, that sort of uh, um, neo-realist, um, it wasn't neo-realist to them, it was neo-realist to me who liked movies like The Bicycle Thief. Uh, um, but that was his world. And I thought that was, that was very interesting. There was an interesting relationship with his father. His father was a very talented tenor but, um, you know, for whatever reason, perhaps stage fright, never really could turn the corner and become a, a, a working professional. Um, he had real doubts about his son's ability to. His mother believed in him. So there are just all these dynamics, not in, in relationships that he developed. But the, the, the most interesting thing was this joy that he had, this, the, this pursuit of this art form. Really was equaled by his passion for, you know, life. Now, he didn't, he couldn't live, he wasn't a rock and roll, destructive, crazy. He was really always protecting the voice. Mm -hmm. So he was always very, very careful. But he grabbed for those relationships, those moments in life that, in addition to his work, would enrich him, thrill him, etc. And I think a lot of that comes from the fact, again, sort of psychologically interesting, uh, that he had a, a you know a near death experience shortly after World War II, um, horrible infection that they didn't quite know how to beat. So oh, you know all of these things just added up to a really great human interest story, which is kind of what I'm always looking for. Mm -hmm. And yet there's opera, so there's going to be great music, there's going to be drama, there's theatricality. And last, I would say even in those initial conversations when I began listening to the arias and also reading the lyrics, which I'd never really done, and I began to understand the themes of those, not only the operas and the stories, but the, but the, but the uh, you know, the moments being dramatized through the arias. Um, I thought, you know, I bet, I bet we can use these arias to help dramatize moments in his life. And in a way we can, we can maybe make a, maybe we can make an opera about Pavarotti using these arias that he said. Well, I was so going to say, why didn't you do a scripted feature biopic? Well, I mean, again, Nigel brought this to me. I, I love, I, I, and I'm mean, really enjoying um, my um, fairly recent, you know, uh, um, uh, foray into, into doc filmmaking. I find it incredibly stimulating. It satisfies my curiosity. It, I, there's still time for me to continue directing, uh, you know, n narrative uh, scripted projects. Uh, which um, and and I think it informs my work. I think it's uh, I think there's something about the constraints in a way of the documentary um, um, film, you know format that demands um, you know the, the the understanding, the analysis, the thought. But it but it's not so simple. You don't just get an actor to 
to you know state the theme. You don't you don't you you can't decide what shots you have necessarily mm -hmm. outside of a few rare circumstances. And I think creatively, I immediately started feeling that influencing my my work in in in, um, in scripted mm -hmm. um, uh, films and television shows. So so it's something I wanted to keep going. Now imagine my company with Brian Grazer. You know we're we're we. We, we love the idea. You know, we're developing Aretha Franklin right now. Right. We, you know, we, so down the road, there's not, well, not I, to say I we... Thought, I thought right away, genius. You know, well, he is a genius. I, I certainly have come to realize that. <laughs> and, uh, um, but for the moment, this is what we're doing with, with Nigel and Paul and Mark. And Pavarotti the man definitely had um, drama in his life. His life, and, I mean, look, Bono says it. He, uh, Luciano could sing opera brilliantly but his his life was an opera, mm -hmm. and I I saw that immediately, even before I heard that quote. Right. Um, but my gosh, Bono's interview! I mean, we we should get permission to just put the whole thing on, online. It was a, it was a, you know it was a call him right now. <laughs> it, was a, it was a shame, you know. Anytime we had to cut a line because he is so astute, so articulate, so passionate, and uh, it really helped it, you know, in his interview. He really helped us achieve the thing that I was hoping for, which is to to sort of understand the price, um, the cost mm. of the effort in the art form, and what it and and what it means to be that that kind of a of a singer, uh, and um, and also show the you know the, the 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 real love and affection that he feels toward this 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 artist as 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 uh, you know as sort of. Uh, um, unpredictable, even mercurial, yeah. as he as he could be, and some of the choices that he'd make, yeah. some of the regrets that he gathered, uh, as Bono says, you know, it's sort of all there in in uh, in the performances. Were you surprised? I was surprised to learn. I'm, listen, I'm not a Pavarotti um, expert, but yeah. I was a little surprised to learn. All of a sudden, we're going in the dock, and he has this girlfriend who used was his assistant. Right. But you're interviewing his widow right. or ex-wife, I guess, right. at that point. Right. So I'm like, wait, is the what is his wife uh, still and, around? And his widow, uh, right? Well, I mean, th again, this is it. And also, you have to remember, as we as we make clear in in the documentary, you're talking about Italy during that period, right. and the idea of divorce yeah. uh, is uh, is 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 something that uh, you know was just was not not done, uh, or certainly pro highly problematic, right? Uh, so I don't think that initial relationship as Sort of beautiful and significant as it was for him, it yielded the the children and and thing you know all relationships that were precious to him, including the first wife. Adam, right. Always, he never never spoke badly, uh, but I think the romance is gone. I right. think the you know and I and I think the, all you know their lives kind of went in different directions in a way, uh, with uh, you know with him on the road. Um, not to make excuses, just life. And I and I do think that he he went through a series of uh, relationships. I think they were kind of un, unsatisfying in certain ways where they just didn't come to fruition because mm -hmm. I think he was very romantic. Right. And I think he wanted to be singularly um, uh, in love. Well, it was really when watching him in some of the restaurant footage, I guess, mm -hmm. and everyone's singing, I was like, oh, I just want to hang out with him. Yeah. Like, I, I want to go eat pasta with Pavarotti <laughs> and just well, be around that table. I know people who did have that experience and everyone raved about it. And the fact of the matter is, even people who would acknowledge you know, he could be a kind of a prima donna. Mm -hmm. I mean, he was very particular. He would, he would, he would. If he didn't feel it, if he didn't feel well, he he would cancel. He would cancel shows. He he uh, 
Um, you know, he lived that way and frustrated people. But um, he he was always coming from a place that people could somehow understand and relate to, and they and they and they all they liked him. Mm. They appreciated him, and it was interesting just to see that. And I think you see it in the family, even some of those. Even the women who he'd had relationships with and broken off, that there really wasn't bad blood. There, there was sadness, um, but but I didn't even feel regret or remorse. I mean, I, when even when his I mean, I from the women, his, not him. I think he, he felt some remorse. But the ex-wife feeding him when he's on his deathbed. Yeah, and that I, just well, they there's that's not, operatic. <laughs> there's love there. There's just true love and appreciation, and um, you know, and I and I and and a kind of a, and a and a and an understanding and acceptance. That's I, yeah, it is unusual. It's very it's dramatic, and I I think in in some ways it's it, well, I found it moving. Right. Yes, and he was insecure. Very, which you know we hear it all the time about artists that yeah. deep down inside. Everyone's insecure, but to hear this man I know. who's been given this voice, like, how do you look at a performance and I, say, you know what, I could have done better? I, I, you know, I go to die. I mean, he <laughs> dreaded these performances, yeah. uh, which is probably, again, why later in his life, when he wasn't always feeling well, um, he, would, he would just decline. Because, mm-hmm. look, the art form meant so much to him. This didn't come easily to him. That's the other surprise. You asked me right. earlier, you know, at the beginning of the conversation. Uh, I was really surprised to see that he was not a prodigy. You know that he that it wasn't. He was well into his twenties before he began to make a living at it. Mm-hmm. Um, after six years of hard training, at, you know, leaving his his job as an elementary school teacher to finally try to take the leap, thanks to his mom pushing him a little <laughs> bit, um, and uh, uh, and and finally making that breakthrough. And I think that that um, that dedication was something that. He, um, you know, never, um, I don't think he ever took, I don't think he ever took the art form or the career mm-hmm. fully for granted, right. even if he was canceling here and there. I right. think he was probably doing it, you know, not not because he was bored. I think he was doing it because he didn't think he could live up to it. Right. But how about the scene? There's a scene at the end where one of, one of his daughters is talking about him when he's very ill, deathly ill, <laughs> and not performing anymore. Uh, and they, he doesn't really want to listen to, to his, any of his recordings, and he finally agrees to, and and because he never liked hearing his voice. I mean, I don't like hearing my voice either. But I'm not. Uh, uh, but uh, you know, I'm 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 not a singer. Uh, I don't mind watching my movies. I can do that most of the time. <laughs> I don't look back very much, to be honest. But um, you know, and and then he's he's watching, and he and he sort of. You know, it's beautiful to see the way she explains it, but that he he thought, well, I was good, mm-hmm. and it's a little bit of a surprise, and it's a beautiful uh, beautiful moment to to contemplate. Maybe that insecurity again is what fueled him. So I think there's always this question of of uh, which we deal with in our genius series all right. the time. Um, you're right; it makes him a good candidate. <laughs> but what so what fuels genius? You know, what what pushes people um, to greatness? And and. Someone like Pavarotti, like you said, he wasn't a prodigy. So, is he a born genius? Is he a genius yeah. who he's developed? Can you develop into a well, genius? I, I, that was. I mean, I think. I think. Um, I think he. Look, I think he. He came from a place and a family that revered it. His father was a tenor and apparently right. very good. Right. You know, uh, Pavarotti was kind of famous for saying, 
he's the better singer. Uh, and uh, um, but um, uh, I I think you know I think he I think that art form demands a level of commitment. I doubt if there are any naturals. Right. There are people who probably have have it in their structure, their DNA to be to to perhaps be able to achieve these things. But it is an really interesting art form because, as I came to discover because you know it's acting. Um, uh, it's performance, um, but there's also an athleticism required. Well, what, what, what was it who said about um, feeling her stump? The, the, the breath and the and strength the, and the, the muscles abs, yeah. in the abs and, and the controlling the breath. And so all, all of that factors into every, every performance. And so th- these performances really, really did take a kind of physical uh, toll, mm. and or and or at least there was a price to be paid, like great athletes, um, and uh, and I, you know, and I think, I think, uh, you know, I think listening. Once you just stop and think about it a little bit and know anything really mm. about it, and you start listening to some of these arias, you realize it is a little bit like watching, you know, Michael Jordan take off at the at the free throw line and slam dunk. I mean, that's like not supposed to quite be possible. Right. And then at the end, you're kind of exhausted. Yeah, yeah, yes, yes. And, but I, so I think when you when you watch opera, I think you're also seeing this demonstration of uh, human capability that's that's kind of mind blowing. Mm-hmm. And and um, and I I really wanted again to use the movie and and I you know I hope a lot of people go and see it in a theater if possible because it's it's uh, you know I mean we we are trying to create a kind of a as I said a sort of an opera about Pavarotti mm-hmm. uh, and and um, yeah, absolutely using you know every state of the art device we could to to make it you know a great a great experience for people man when the mix chris jenkins is really remarkable and lo- and, and loved this subject and really uh, it's a labor of love for him this but we have a couple of sequences with the three tenors oh it's, and it, uh, it's unbelievable there is you could watch that over and over again and it's yeah. Almost like every time you watch it, it's as if you're watching it for the first time. Yeah. And when they start competing, <laughs> it's incredible. That was amazing. And you realize it is something. There is competition, and you also see. And it's probably one of the reasons the three tenors were so successful and interesting, especially to maybe non-opera mm-hmm. devotees, is that um, um, wow, they actually do all sing differently. Yes, it isn't the same. Right. You know, there is interpretation. There is style. There is their own instrument at work. You know, and that's. I, I found all that really uh, entertaining and fascinating. We're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, Ron Howard is giving us an update on the Aretha Franklin season of Nat Geo's Genius. It's safe to say 2020 was one of the most difficult years ever for so many, and these remain very challenging times. That's why I'm here to ask you, how can I help? My name is Dr. Gail Saltz, host of the new weekly podcast, How Can I Help with Dr. Gail Saltz, brought to you by the Seneca Women Podcast Network and iHeartRadio. I'm a clinical associate professor of psychiatry at the New York Presbyterian Hospital, a psychoanalyst, best-selling author, and I'm here to help. Join me every Friday where you can ask your most pressing questions and get helpful guidance on topics ranging from coping with anxiety and mood, relationships, to family and parenting issues, to workplace dynamics, to dealing with COVID fatigue, and everything in between. While it has been a tough time, you don't have to navigate it alone. So, how can I help? 
You can send your questions anonymously to me at howcanihelp at senecawomen.com and I will answer with specific advice and understanding. Listen to How Can I Help with Dr. Gail Saltz on the iHeartRadio app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to The Big Ticket. I'm your host, Mark Malkin. Here's more of Ron Howard. So Aretha Franklin, who yeah. is going to play Aretha well, well, Franklin? Well, we're still working on it. We are still working how on it. Do you even, how do you even cast something like well, that? Well, it, it's... Uh, there will be, um, you know, at least a, at least a couple of ages, mm-hmm. um, just as we did with um, with Einstein and, yep. and and Picasso, as we as we encompass as much of the life as possible. But I really can't talk about it too much because it's honestly just being written and shaped. Uh, but uh, we're going to do justice. To, and do you uh, already have the music rights? Because you need uh, the music. Uh, we need the music rights. Yes, yes. No, we, we, we're in good shape there. That's yeah. great. And so does this mean Mary Shelley is sort of put to the side or is that happening at the same time? Mary Shelley is, I think, put put to the side and a great subject. A handful of the scripts have been written, mm-hmm. but uh, Aretha seems to have the both the network and, and, um, and, and our attention at the moment. And Hillbilly Elegy. Why he'll, this is a controversial book. Yes. You know, yes. Um, why would studying, I walk, why would I walk into that? Right. Study, <laughs> especially this time period, yeah, you know, yeah. we're about to go into 2020. Oh. Mm. Um, and I forgot how controversial the book was when it came out. Was yeah. it a conservative book? Was it a liberal book? Who Ooh. loves it? Who hates it? Well, I think, I think, you know, pe- people from both sides feel both emotions mm. about it. Um, some more than others. Right. Uh, but, um, uh, the, the movie story is the case study right. of the family. I think it's m- incredibly relatable. So when you peel away J.D. Vance's own sort of sociological explorations mm-hmm. or, 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 th- or theories, and uh, which it's not this film's job to dramatize, what, what, what captured me and what I thought was interesting was, um, was that, that story of this one particular American family uh, uh, from, you know, a specific region, and um, navigating, um, navigating their, the, you know, the sort of the uh, um, aspects of of their families, their personalities, and even and to some extent their culture that can be problematic in this day and age, mm-hmm. and also recognizing um, some of those strengths. And I think everybody in in every corner of probably every country, but let's talk about America. Uh, has a version of that, where, where you know, sort of where, wherever they wherever they come from. Do you see yourself screening it at the White House? Uh, <laughs> no, no, I can probably I could probably just blurt that out and be very confident. <laughs> <laughs> because you know there are people who use the material in the book as support for Trump. That yeah. this is the reason Trump was elected. I think it's not so much support for. I mean, I don't interpret it that way, right. and I don't think J.D. Vance does. Mm. I don't. I, I don't think he even intended it to be as political as it was interpreted to be. Because, because uh, it's um, um, well. I mean, even within his own family, uh, you know, his 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 grandmother, who's an amazing uh, character, Glenn Close is going to play. She was a Bill Clinton lover, uh, you know, loved him, mm-hmm. and, um, and and so anyway. But but all um, all that aside, I think it is a look. At a corner of our culture and, pop- and population that is a large one, um, and um, has probably gone a little bit underserved. Mm. And um, my 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 you know my my family comes from Oklahoma and Kansas. I never lived there, 
Um, J.D. Vance is also not a hillbilly. Right. Uh, but, but that's why I like the title. Mm. It's like the echoes of that culture have certainly influenced him, just as honestly I feel it right. uh, and, and from, from my own family. And I, and I think that it's, uh, it's, a, it, it's an important time. You know, I, I, my plan, um, and we haven't shot it yet, we're just getting underway, uh, you know, certainly is to just to tell this family story in as honest and straightforward a way uh, as possible. And again, use it as this case study it, it for, for um, the struggle to sort of over, overcome certain cycles of that problematic, you know, circumstances and behavior, but also to, to recognize that um, society plays a role in almost everything mm -hmm. that, that impacts us and shapes things. And I think that, um, you know, I, I think the actors are very excited to tackle these characters. We have a terrific cast shaping up. And a couple of fun questions, and then I'll let you go because I know you have to go. Yeah. When was the last time you cried watching a movie? Oh, man. Uh, when was the last time I cried? Well, uh, I, uh, um, I, I tell you, I got very emotional watching the movie where Shia LaBeouf was basically playing his father. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, I think maybe having been a child actor myself, although my circumstance is quite different, it was a very constructive experience, but I thought that movie was, uh, uh, was raw and true. So I, I was really empathetic with it mm -hmm. and open to it and really admired it, and I found it very moving. What movie could you watch over and over again? Uh, Every time it pops on, you're like, I'm going to watch One it. One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. That right. blend of comedy, that those ideas, the unbelievable, impeccable performances, top to bottom. Haskell Wexler's photography, this, the direction, the staging, everything about it just kind of rivets me because it's it's full on entertainment, with you know fueled by ideas and this this really artful um, execution that is just uh, you know I, I I really really you know, admire that movie. And now they're going to do a series on Nurse Ratchet. Are they? Yes, Sarah oh. Paulson. Oh, oh, well, she'll be great. <laughs> I'll, I'll be checking that out. <laughs> awesome. Ron, thank you so much. This Pleasure. is awesome. Thank you. Thank really you. Great. Pleasure. I hope everyone goes see, goes see Pavarotti in the theater. That'd be, that I think would be it's nice. really, it, it's important, because especially for, just for the three tenor. Yeah, yeah. There's some great, some great moments that we're able to get. Thank that was Ron Howard. Thanks for listening to this week's Big Ticket. Don't forget, a new episode of The Big Ticket drops every Thursday. See you next week.